0: From WYPR and PRX.
1: It's out of the block.
0: Simple concept.
1: One city block, everybody's
2: story.
0: Everybody's story.
2: Everybody's, everybody's story. Everybody's story.
0: Everybody's story. It's definitely a cast of characters.
2: Back in the 60s, it was the beatniks. And the beatniks were on this corner and that corner. And they had the 70s. And and then when the psychedelic thing came in, shops would move out and the new shops would come in. A lot of gays, there were gay clubs.
3: For me, when, when I came downtown in 1984. You know, this was the gayborhood. But now, all kinds of people live down here.
0: And it never gets old. It never gets old. From the minds of Aaron Hinkin and Wendell Patrick. It's out of the blocks. 200 West Reed Street. Right after this. The filthiest scene in a film ever was filmed here on this block of Reed Street, right around the corner on uh, like on the corner of Tyson and Reed, uh, where Divine famously ate dog poop in Pink Flamingos. How much is that doggy in the window?
4: I do hope that doggie is for sale.
1: You can see that little uh, stretch of sidewalk from out the front window of your shop.
0: Oh, yeah. And then, I guess, Divine Trash had a shop across the street. It was called Divine Trash. Divine owned it.
1: And Divine, of course, is the uh, drag queen muse of John Waters in his uh, early days of his movies.
0: Yes, exactly. And, and he
1: hung out on this blog too, right?
0: Yeah, I think he got kicked out of the drinkery a few times for being under 21. And yeah, he definitely hung out around here. And a lot of uh, those old Dreamland folks lived around here. I do a lot of Western, a lot of workwear. Got a lot of you know cool army jackets and cool leather jackets and trousers and bell bottoms and floral pants and Western pants and embroidered pants and all that good stuff. My name is Marissa Rothman Pierce. Uh, my shop is called Bottle of Bread at 216 West Reed Street.
1: So you've become sort of a student of the history of this block, it looks like. You've got all these old black and white photos on your phone.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I, that's what I do for a living. I study the history of things, so um, I love that kind of stuff. This used to be uh, the spot, people called it Greenwich Village. Baltimore Um, next door was uh, next door to here was a smoke shop called the Psychedelic Propeller it was a really cool spot and um, there were the Reed Street festivals here that were kind of just like the hippie street festivals and um, people would just party on the street and it was a wild time in the late 60s here you know we're really trying to like bring back that original quality of the 60s on Reed Street in 70s and it's this block has really gone through some ups and downs and um so it's kind of like my goal at least and I know I know it must be the goal of the other businesses on this block to just really bring people back to hanging out here you know um coffee shops restaurants retail you know, there are some great businesses on this block that have been here for a long time, and there are some great new ones. And I'm just hoping more people uh, see the charm that this block has to offer and kind of comes and join us, join us.
4: I'm Neil 4 I'm co-owner of Neil's the Hair Studio, 856 Park Avenue, with my husband, Joe Pitta. We own it together equally.
3: But we also have an entrance on Reed Street, 204 West Reed Street, which is the life of uh this block. You guys are married. Tell me the story of
1: how
4: you met. Oh, no, you cannot put that on the radio. <laughs> oh, no, not even an edited version. No, no it is. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I could tell you. 35 years later, we're, we're still, still together.
3: together.
4: <laughs> 35 years together. Yes. Congratulations. Work together. We live together. We're never apart.
1: You may not want to tell me uh, how you met then, but tell me, um, what you found in each other
4: that was special and and how it was that you ended up um, being together and staying together? Well I personally believe that it's much more important to like your partner than to love them. If you like them, love will show up. And I truly believe laughter is the key to everything. I always tell people you can give yourself an orgasm but you can't tickle yourself. Because when all the fireworks go away in a relationship, if you're not laughing what do you have? We moved here in 1990. Designed the place, we have original barber chairs that were uh, built in 1910, and then we have Victorian dressers because when we opened our salon, men and women basically did not go to the same space. So we wanted to create an environment that was both male and female friendly. So when men came in, they saw a barber chair. So they thought they were in a masculine space. Women tend to look more at the Victorian dressers. So for them, the same space became feminine. So each one became comfortable in the environment. W- would you say that's true, Joe? We wanted it to feel homey and friendly. and
3: So it really works. The big thing when we opened the salon was, I want to open my own salon, Neil said, so I can pick the music. He didn't want the disco stuff. He didn't want all the techno stuff. So he wanted something, show tunes.
1: You are obviously a fan of the theater of musicals. You have posters for My Fair Lady and Hairspray and thoroughly modern Millie on the walls in here. Talk to me about your uh, love for theater.
4: Well, I think a lot of gay men, especially from my generation, had to fall in love with fantasy because they couldn't take reality. I mean, it was very hard to be a gay man in, uh, in the 60s and early 70s. And so for me, going into the world of film and theater was a way that I could express myself that I could not do in the concrete world of reality. I see young gay people today, I'm happy for them that they can solely express themselves without the fears that we had growing up, but I also see a that they don't bond, in my perspective, the way that gay men did back when I was young and gay. You know, in, in my day, you had you didn't have social media. So you had to go to bars, you had to have conversations, you had to filter through people. Now today, it's all instantaneous. You go on, you know, do you like gray? I hate gray. Do you like green? I hate green. And then they build their relationships about around how much someone is like them. Whereas in our day, we built our relationships on what we actually had to talk about, which was our our differences. Tell me about your wedding. <laughs> well, it was brief. What happened was I had a wonderful man that worked for us for 18 years, I believe, who I adored and I'm still close friends with. And he was with his partner 40-some years, and unexpectedly his partner passed. He was not married to this man, and he got hit with a, a gigantic, tax for inheriting the property that they owned in in, in, together I said to Joe this cannot happen we've got to get married so I planned a wedding as fast as I could and it happened to be on Halloween and uh, we just went down to sign papers we were only doing it honestly uh, for legal reasons so we could protect each other
3: it gave us so many things by being married instead of just you know two guys together for 35 years
4: If you would have said to me before the legal marriage, would I feel different about our relationship, I would have said no. But there was something when that paper was signed that, for me, drew me closer to Joe. I have a husband, a partner, a friend in my life that I feel is equally connected to my soul as my soul is connected to itself.
3: I feel like we're really close, but it's wonderful because we've been able to work out all the stuff I don't want to do in life, he does all oh, the stuff he doesn't want to do I do. So, we really complement each other. What's the division of uh, of labor then? What what are the things you don't want oh, like to do? Oh, there's an argument. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He does the laundry, he empties the kitty litter, he puts the trash out. But I do all the business stuff. I have to sit in the office and pay the bills and we both do hair. We both, you know, do all the stuff in the shop. It's just that, you know, he does a lot of the stuff at home, and I do all this, a lot of the stuff here. The
4: kitty litter is a big deal, man. That's, well, you, I, I'm I sure think... you, you don't ever take that for granted. <laughs> he has six cats. Four of the six are Maine Coons. Have you ever cleaned up Maine Coon poop? <laughs> yeah, that's,
3: that's love. six cats.
4: No, I do
0: not. You're on 200 West Reed Street. It's out of the blocks. One city block. Everybody's store.
5: We do anything related to locks. It's an interesting business. We kind of have a little niche for older stuff. You don't learn it overnight. It helps to be um, a little bit of a type A personality. You see all the different size pins and the different size springs. And you know, if it's broken, you have to fix it. You have to find the parts or create the parts and make it work again. Well, so you put the pins in, you have to put the springs in behind them. Until you, and then you take one apart and then it. realize you shouldn't have taken one apart. You don't realize, you don't know how many things are in there. <laughs> Ray Gruinger, Roberts Key Service on uh, 217 West Reed Street. My name is Scott McDonald. I am uh, Ray's stepson. I've been here for my whole life. I've kind of grown up in the key shop here on Reed Street. It was not really an option, I like to joke, that, you know, so to keep me out of trouble, I came to work here at the key shop and started off when I was like 8, 10 years old, cleaning, scrubbing the toilets, mopping the floors, and probably when I was around 12 years old, started working on locks, cutting keys, waiting on customers, that kind of thing. So I had a couple of years of just kind of hanging around and learning. Growing
2: up, that we were always together, same as when I was with my dad. That's how he is with me, and he was with me all the time. Anywhere I would go, I would take him with me. Like
5: I said, he's my stepfather, but he has always treated me like a son and like a.
2: One of the guys. We would go to ball games. We would go to a I'd go to a bar. Uh, he would meet uh, friends of mine, this and that, and uh, everybody. He just got along with everybody. It was just. Uh, it just turned out to be a great uh, relationship. It must feel good to uh, be able to hand over the reins to your son. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Very good. How's he doing? He's excellent. and He's very good at what he does. I'm still the first one here every morning and. But now I'm the first one out every day. My dad uh, opened a shop in uh, 47. And um, my dad passed away when he was uh, 52. But I used to work in the shop on the weekends with him and and that kind of thing. And of course, we've had the business uh, ever since. How old were you when your dad passed away and when it became when you sort of took the reins here? my dad died when I was uh, 15 years old. In my arms, uh, we were watching Bonanza on a Sunday night, and he just looked at me and leaned over towards me, and I caught him, and he laid down, and and that was it. Um, that's when all the head- heartaches began, and because then I had to work uh, I had to work uh, every day after school. I'd be down here and working working on the weekends until I, uh, graduated from, uh, high school. And then I went to University of Baltimore for about three months between a bottle of Pepto-Bismol every day and, uh, the, the schoolwork and then working in the shop. And I finally said, I just can't do it. I said, and I went back and took my books back to Mr. Higgins and said, here's all my books. Give these to somebody that can use them and, uh, and help them out, I said, but I can't do both things. And after that, I've been in the locksmith shop, the key shop every day since then. Tell me about your dad. What kind of a guy was he? Uh, what kind of lessons did you learn about life from him? Uh, one of the things that uh, he always said, he always, he was a, a, a heavy smoker and he always smoked palm Malls. And every time he would take one out of the pack, which was pretty much all day long, he would always take the cigarette out and he would look at me and say don't ever start these things and you won't have to quit them and the rest of my life as I was growing up my friends all smoked and they did this and they did that I never touched a cigarette and that lasted until I was 45 years old and I see a cigar shop I walked into the cigar shop smelled good, looked good, and I went let me try a cigar and. Here I am now at uh, 71 years old, and I've been smoking cigars since I was 45. Do you smoke cigars? I do not. I'm not
5: a cigar smoker. I, I have tried them. I will occasionally smoke one, but not not a daily smoker.
1: You've acclimated yourself to the constant smell of cigar smoke, though. At, uh,
5: yes. The, my wife always says the WD-40 and, and cigars. That's kind of my cologne. 98 or
2: 99, I bought the buildings that were next to me. And there was a uh, one area that was an office space, and I had it sitting there, and it was empty. And customers were coming in, and they would say, what are you going to put over there? And jokingly, I said, I'm thinking about putting a cigar shop in. And the next thing you know, customers are coming in and saying, when are you going to get the cigar shop open? So I thought, well, I'll open them up, and I'll put a few cigars in there. Started with the business. Next thing you know, the business was very busy and i'm going i this is more work than i thought it was going to be i thought it was going to be just a little fun thing so one of the salesmen had called on me i was talking to him i said where do you live and he said living up in hamden i said that's not far from here i said uh, well what do you think about running a cigar shop yeah. um, we've got esteban carreras alec bradley black market
6: um the aroa um cbt maduros Got a Dominican in there also with an Arturo Fuente Queen B. Thanks. Thanks, Wes. See you. See you. Um, Ray started the business back in I think 1999 or 2000, so we're about 18 years in. I ended up here. I used to be a sales rep for about um, nearly 10 years, and Ray was one of my clients. And when I got tired of traveling and living out of a suitcase. Um, I came here to start running that, this for him, and here we are. My name is David Giambalucca. We're at Mount Vernon Tobacco Company at 221 West Reed Street. Um, we basically are just a large walk-in humidor. That's the whole shop. It's about 10 by 15. Um, we carry about over 300 facings of cigars crammed into this little little tight space.
1: You've got two humidifiers operating in here. There's a science to the climate in this place, right?
6: Right. You want to keep it um, around 70% relative humidity. A couple points plus or minus is okay, and you need to keep that keep it that way 24 hours a day.
1: So these things run around the clock. It takes a special kind of lighter to really light up a cigar, right? You got you sell specialty lighters as well. Most uh, most most cigar smokers prefer to use a
6: torch lighter, um, which. Uh, Lights your cigar faster and more efficiently than the traditional wooden match or or a regular flame lighter. Although there's still something about the romanticism of a of a of a stick match to light your cigar as well. In this section, we've got uh, Camacho cigars, which come from Honduras. Monte Cristos, Ashton, which is a Dominican cigar from Dominican Republic. Alec Bradley cigars, which come from Honduras. Casa Fernandez one of the larger growers in Nicaragua, CLE cigars, which comes from Honduras, San Cristobal, which is out of Nicaragua. We've got uh, the Undercrown by Drew Estate and the Herrera by Drew Estate. We've got also the Acid brand from Drew Estate, which are all flavor infused cigars. So if you're looking for something that has a sweeter taste, they actually achieve
1: that by infusing flavors into the tobacco. What kind of a number has uh, has this uh, passion done on on your lungs? Are you how's you how are you health wise? Uh, I think I'm doing pr- doing pretty well.
6: You know, I'm 52, and you know, there's some couple things that generally come with age, but I do try to get out and walk and go hiking in the woods and do things like that. So I don't think it's affected me too adversely. You find different attitudes towards this. For some people, smoking cigars is something they get together with their friends and do. It becomes a very social thing. Uh, for other people, it's more of a solitary thing and a relaxation. Um, I find myself my favorite time to maybe smoke a cigar is on an, on a nice day to sit out in the yard and enjoy a cigar and just kind of reflect and relax and kind of clear your clear your head of things. You know, we, we work hard and we need to uh, we need to unwind at the end of the day sometimes and have a little time to ourselves and relax.
0: You've been listening to Out of the Blocks.
4: Produced by Aaron Henkin and Wendell Patrick.
0: With production assistance from Katie Marquette.
4: You can catch this podcast series and check out photo portraits.
0: At WIPR.org slash Out of the Blocks.
2: Aaron and Wendell want to thank
1: all of us. Who took a leap of faith and share our stories and our lives.
0: This is 200 West Reed Street. Signing off. Signing off. Signing off. Signing off.
1: Hey guys, Aaron here. Good to have you along with us for part one of our podcast from the 200 block of West Reed Street in Baltimore. Lots more great stories to share from this block. More great sounds too, as a matter of fact. Next time, we're going to venture into the shop of a guy who restores antique clocks. And if you happen to be there at the right time, it sounds incredible. And that's what it sounds like at noon in here every day. Yes. That's Mark Mitchell at his clock shop on the 200 block of West Reed Street. Do not be late for an appointment with that man. We'll catch you next time here on Out of the Blocks. Until then, thanks for listening. Out of the Blocks is produced with grant funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and from the Cohen Opportunity Fund, the William G. Baker Jr. Memorial Fund, Sig and Barbara Shapiro, Patricia and Mark Joseph, Jonathan Melnick, the Andy and Sana Brooks Family Foundation, the Hofberger Foundation, Associated Jewish Charities, the John J. Lighty Foundation, the Kenneth S. Batty Charitable Trust, and the MuseWeb Foundation.
3: Support for this podcast comes from the Corporation
0: for Public Broadcasting.
4: From P-